Take your Bibles this morning and turn it to Exodus chapter 39. Exodus chapter 39. We're getting close to the finish line. I don't know how I feel about that. Yes, amen. It's hard to believe that we are just crossing three years being in this building now. Can you believe it's been that long? I remember when we started the remodel project, uh, we decided and had to decide what the best use of space was going to be. And so we took the uh, outer dimensions and uh, used a program called SketchUp. And it used to be free. I don't know how it's used now. But we laid out that building and we started laying out this building. And uh, it was looking for how we could best maximize the space that we had. We weren't going to rebuild or break out any of the outer walls. And so for the auditorium here, we had to decide how much we needed to shrink it. That wall in the back used to go back another 25 feet, and it made a very small foyer. And there was a balcony, if you remember, some of you, that used to be out in the foyer right over the doors. You couldn't even see those half-moon lights all the way because it was all very cramped in there. And then you'd walk into an auditorium that could fit 550 people here, uh, probably another 200 in the balcony, and if we needed it all, uh, 100 people could sit up in the choir still. And so I probably used an entire eraser just figuring out where to put one of the restroom walls back and forth six inches. I just trying to, we wanted it to be right. And I believe with the Lord's help, we did get it right. But then it was time to send those rough plans to the architect and uh, to get real or what they call certified or stamped drawings. And we waited and we'd have another meeting with the architect and then we waited some more and a year went by and we were waiting and I'd be in contact with the architect and, uh, you know, everything was always put at the bottom of the pile and I thought we were working our way up. And about 18 months after giving those rough drawings to the architect, I remember Brother Glenn Haynes came to me and said, we've got an opportunity for a work group to come down from Frostoria, Michigan. And uh, it was just, uh, I'd been praying for some time, when should we get started? And, and, but I'll tell you this, without drawings, you cannot get a work permit. Uh, not for a, a scope that we were going to be doing in a public building. And so, well, it's not public building, but you understand it's for public use. And, and so I really began to pray, but I, I really felt like this was the time that we needed to get working on it. And so I really started pressing the architect and just about a week or 10 days before the work team was supposed to be here, we finally got the drawings for the bathrooms only. And so I got a permit for the bathrooms and that came in the day before the work team was supposed to get here. And uh, so they came in busted out all the walls. We had to bust out all the concrete on the flooring because we took where the commodes were and changed the sides of that. And, and uh, I remember having to relay and re-pour that concrete. And what a mess. And we still didn't have any plans or permit for the building. But there was a fellow by the name of David Smith, Dave Smith. What a tremendous blessing Uh, He was. You'll remember he passed just a a year or so ago, and and I had the privilege of the church sending me up there just to try to be a blessing and a comfort to his family. 
But he kept asking me and asking the question, what, what else are you wanting to do to the building? What else are you wanting to do? The, and I was so hesitant to give him the, the plans because he, he was a, a tornado. I mean, he was going to get it done. And finally, I thought, boy, all the work that could be done on the bathrooms had people working on it. And they were so effective and so efficient uh, that I gave him the little rough plans that we had. And he started tearing down walls and, and knocking and putting things in place. And I remember by the end of the, the 10 days, and they still had a day or two left, I came in through those back doors, and they were, they were ready now in the bathrooms. They'd come to a place where we needed an inspection. And I thought to, to myself, oh, no. I cannot have the inspector come in and look and see, this, this place had completely changed. And there were, there were stud walls put up everywhere. We had put up the, the outlines for the, the nursery over on this side. And uh, both of the, the offices on, on this side. And it was a complete renovation of the whole back side of the building. Of course, we had started doing some work on the platform here. And, and nothing looked the same. I remember, I have pictures somewhere of the whole work team putting up those are all just, they were walls that we made on the ground, and then we all pushed it up and, and put it up there. And so no drywall was anywhere, and it was just looks like a brand new construction site. And so I called the city planner, and I said, I said, listen, can I meet with you? Now, when you talk about meeting one of the city inspectors, they always come out to site. That's what they do. There's two here in Shelby. And he said, sure, I can be out. I said, no, 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 how about if I meet you in your office, Right. And so he said, well, that'd be fine. And so we set up an appointment, and I went in, and I remember telling him, I said, well, uh, we're ready for an inspection in the bathroom, but I want to tell you something. Things got a little out of hand at the church. <laughs> and so he said, well, tell me about it. And so I, I started telling him about how we demolished the balcony up there and, and uh, how we roughed in and all the and even the, even the flooring in both of the offices, in my off, not both the offices, the offices and the, the nursery, we had to put these big wedges in there so that the floor would be straight. That's one reason why there's a slight step going up into my office. And, uh, but, but here I am explaining to him all of the work that, was, that, that we'd already done. Now, the permits that you get are based on what the cost of the overall project was going to be. And so it would have been very easy for him to fine us or to stop work and make us go through all the hassle. And he says, well, have you covered up any of your work? Now, he wasn't asking if we've hidden it from him. But what he was saying is, did you put drywall over th anything that I would want to inspect that I couldn't, whether it's the plumbing or the electrical that we had already started doing and things like that? And I said, no, 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 it's all open. You can still see it. And it was amazing. He said, that's fine. I said, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to get another permit? Do I need to, uh, you know, what, what, what is the course of action from here? He said, I don't see a need for the church to pay more money for another permit. Just call me out at these intervals. Let me look at it. And whatever needs to be fixed, I'll tell you. And then you can move on. And so we did the entire church building renovation on one permit. Uh, just for the restrooms. Just incredible. He came out several times throughout the whole process, and most of the time he said, this is great. He'd say, well, you want to look at this, or you got to change this. I remember one time he came out, and we'd just done some work, and he had us do a lot of, I would call it ticky-tacky things, things that really, I think we could get away with saying, hey, we, we really don't need to do this. This is not code. 
I want to tell you, at that point, I don't think it would have been very wise. We had a great working relationship with him, and whatever the inspector wanted, we wanted to do it his way. If we did it the inspector's way, we knew that we would get that prize that we wanted. You know what the prize was? An occupancy permit. We wanted to be able to have services in here. Now, the story for us getting the occupancy permit in there is even more remarkable for the fellowship hall. I, came, I, I, I called him out for the final inspection, and we had done a lot of electrical work over there. We had to go get architectural drawings for the electrical work, and uh, they'd been over there to inspect all of that, and we had new lines run uh, from the pole to the building, and, and just a lot of work as far as that was concerned. But I remember when the inspector came through, he said, he said, Preacher, I've got some bad news. We did not do any of the inspections leading up to the final inspection. We didn't do the plumbing. We did do the electrical, but we didn't do the structural. And, and there was a lot of things that we changed the whole face of that building over there. And I thought, oh, this is not good. And he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry we didn't come out more often. I don't know about you, but I've never had a city inspector apologize to me for not getting inspections until that day. And what, what a remarkable thing. He walked through. There were some things that he had concern about. We talked about it, and uh, we fixed those things, and he gave us the occupancy permit for that. But I was reminded of how important it is to make sure that the inspector is pleased with the job that you're doing in order to get the prize, in order to get the use of that building. I talked to a, a, another pastor during this whole process. Uh, he's there in Charlotte, and, and he told me this. He said, brother, listen, we had an inspector come in. He looked around, and he started walking out, and, the, and the, there's work crews going on and stuff like that, and, and the, the pastor made it over there. He said, hey, what's going on? Or, you know, he said, well, I'm the inspector for Mecklen County or whatever, and he said, you fail, and he kept walking. He wasn't going to tell the guy what it was. He just was not, and, and I thought, wow, it, it's, I'm glad I have an inspector that's willing to teach us, to walk with us, and to show us what he wants in order for us to be able to please him. It's hard to believe that the goal was simply to be able to meet in here. I mean, you'd think, is there some other... But this is a place where we worship God. Now, I'm going to tell you, the church is not the building. You've heard that probably your whole life. I have even, as an unsafe person, the church is not the building, it's the people. But I'm thankful for a place where we can gather together and worship Him together as a church family. But looking back, no matter how nice the inspectors were, no matter how willing they were to work with us, I never looked forward to their visit. I, I knew it could mean trouble for us. It could mean money. It could mean uh, uh, time. And they could, uh, at their discretion, send us back to square one. And then we'd have to wait for those plans, and we would be delayed in getting that prize, getting the occupancy permit. And whether it's the inspectors that we worked with or some of the inspectors of different guys or men that I know throughout the country, I'm simply reminded that it is important to please the inspector in order to receive the blessing. When we get to Exodus 39, we see God reviewing 
finishing, reviewing all the things that were made, all the furniture, all the articles that were going to go into the tabernacle. Uh, the beginning of chapter 39 really looks at the clothing of Aaron. We're not going to rehearse all of that again. But this morning, I want to, I want to challenge you. If you want to please the ultimate inspector, you must do it his way. You have to do it his way. Go all the way back up to verse 39, if you will. Or chapter 39, verse 1. I want you to look at the last phrase in that verse. It says, as the Lord commanded Moses. Basically, what he's saying is they had done everything according to the way that Moses had commanded them. This is a refrain that you hear consistently through this last chapter of Exodus. You see it in verse 1 where I just showed it to you. You see it again in verse 5. You see it again in verse 7. In verse 21, you'll see that same phrase in verse 26 and verse 29. And then you'll see it again in verse 31. And the point is that the, the Israelites had made the tabernacle just as the architectural drawings had said. God was the architect, and he had given it to the general contractor named Moses, and it was Moses' job to make sure that the tabernacle and all the, the furniture and all the things that were going to go inside of it were meet or fit exactly as the architect had drawn it out. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but we talked about, I believe that, that God showed a Moses basically a 3D rendering. I don't know if it was a, a model that he was able to look at, but it talks about uh, this idea that he saw the tabernacle long before he ever started building it, and then God gave him everything that he needed in order to build it. But the Israelites did everything that the Lord commanded them through Moses. All the way down to verse 42. Will you look at that with me? According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. You see, when God's work is done in God's way, there is a blessing. But when, when God's work is not done the way that he commands, it doesn't have God's blessing. I mean, think about this. The children of Israel really learned that when they tried to worship God in a way that he said not to. Moses goes up, we spent several weeks looking at the, the golden calf, but, but when they went up there, what did they say? We're going to worship the Lord God. They were talking about Jehovah God, the covenant-keeping God, but they were going to do it with a golden calf. They called that golden calf Jehovah, in a sense, the God that delivered them. Did that receive God's blessing? Of course not. It was not done the way that God had commanded them to worship Him. They were doing their own thing, their own way. They certainly did not have God's blessing. Instead of God's people waiting for God to reveal His will to them, they said, I'll just take it upon myself. I'm just going to do it the way that I want to do it. How do you think that would work if the city inspector came in? One of the things he told us to do is we had to fill in all these gaps that were in some of these walls and on the second floor with some kind of foam. Now, he didn't even tell us to use uh, the fire foam. I think we ended up using that maybe, but he just wanted to make sure there's no updraft. And I said, well, I know that's code, and I know that's what you expect, 
But I think we need ventilation going up. That's not good. That aids in fire uh, uh, spreading rather than prevention, okay? But all I'm saying is, if I tell the, the city inspector, mm, I don't like the way you're doing it, I don't like the, the suggestions or the commands that you're giving us, and uh, no one can tell us what to do. Now, let me tell you, there are ministries out there that say the government is not going to tell us what to do. Let me make a very clear distinction. The government will never tell us how to worship our God. The government cannot tell us uh, what the dictates of our conscience must be or cannot be. We get those from the Bible. We get those from God. But when the, Bible, but when the, the city inspector says, you've got to do this for safety reasons, you've got to have doors that are able, uh, the back doors, uh, the primary doors have to be panic bars, or if, uh, if we were to seat more people in this auditorium, uh, we would have to have a sprinkler system. By the way, that is why officially this auditorium can fit 299 people, according to the city of Shelby, all right? And uh, I don't know if we could fit 300, well, I mean 299 people in here or not, but at 300, you have to have a sprinkler system, right? And so I don't think we wait in line for more regulation. We don't ask for more, but if it's mandated, we don't get to say, hey, we don't listen to the government. We're not going to do what you tell us to do. That's not, that's not a good testimony, and we want people to be safe, but we also want to have a good testimony in our community. And so if the inspector comes in and he says, this is what has to happen, we're going to do that. But people say, you know what? God, I know this is what you want, but no one tells me what to do in this area. It didn't really come out that way. We don't voice that. But what it is when somebody starts preaching in a certain area, we start bowing up. Oh, he better not, he better not say that. He better not talk about that. What is that? That's saying, God, you have no right to speak to me in this area of my life. I mean, think about people that try to do things their own way and failed miserably. Why? Because they didn't have God's blessing. I mean, it starts in the Garden of Eden. Are you going to be like God? Eat this. Was that God's way? Was that God's doing God's will? God's way? No. It only goes downhill from there. They found and fashioned themselves after the fall a bikini and a speedo made out of fig leaves. They're not covering very much, right? And so God says, here are coats of skin. Let's, let's cover that. Let's get some modesty into the picture. In Genesis chapter 11, the people came together to build a tower that was supposed to reach to the heavens. They wanted to approach God in a way that he said was not right. It was not the fact that the tower was literally going to reach to heaven. It was not the fact that, that they were going to be able to, to uh, commune with God up in heaven through this tower, but it was the wickedness of their hearts to say, we can be gods. And so what did God do? He confused their language, and they were scattered because of it. All I'm saying is you can go through and see a, a litany of people, a myriad of people that, that have tried to do either their own work their own way or they have tried to do God's work their own way. And both of those 
are going to be a fail. They're just a, a failure. We cannot do our own thing, our own way, and expect God's blessing. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we say, God, here's my plans for my life. I'm going to do this, and then at this stage I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and we expect him, like an architect stamp, just to stamp his approval on that and say, there you go. That's not it at all. We don't come to God with our plans already laid, asking him to put a stamp on it. What we ought to do is come with a blank piece of paper and say, God, what is it you want from me in this life that you've given to me? What is it God wants you to do? What is his will for your life? What does he want you to accomplish? And it doesn't matter if you are nine or 49 or 99. God has a purpose for every one of us in this world. When he's done with us, he'll take us home. But if we're still here, it means that he wants to use us. You say, well, I used to do this. I remember the glory days of this. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm thankful for the, the work of God that he has wrought through you in years and decades past. I almost said centuries. I don't think there's anybody here that old, all right? But we can't live looking at the rearview mirror. We've got to look ahead and say, what does God have for me today? He might have you put right where he is because there's a neighbor that needs to hear the gospel. There may be a, a family member or a loved one that, that needs to hear of the love of Christ and the salvation that he provides. And so he wants us to do a work for him. That's first. We've got to do that work, but then we have to do it his way. There's no accident that there's not a drum set on our platform. We don't want to do anything that brings sensuality into the worship service. We don't want to do anything that is going to cause our focus to come off of Christ and go down to man. I think it's a travesty when a church has a worship team. You have five people that are, uh, even if they were singing the most Christ-honoring songs, you have five people that are performing, and you have a congregation full of people that are spectators. No, we have congregational singing for a reason. We want every one of you to partake in, our, in worshiping Almighty God. And as you sing, it's not just to hit the right notes. Some of you have more of the right notes than others. Amen? And it's not to, to make sure that you're seen or... Listen, we come so that we can worship God together. We want to do God's work God's way. A couple years ago, we had a tent meeting revival, and we, we got together with some other churches in the area. But I want to say very clearly, it was like-minded churches. That's important, Okay? Because there's an ecumenical movement that just means that, that people of every belief and every doctrine want to get together and just say, well, as long as you're preaching the gospel, that's all that matters. I'm going to tell you this morning, that is not all that matters. God cares more than just about the gospel. The gospel is important. It's the most important thing. I'm not denying that. People need to get saved. But they need to have right teaching after they get saved. And so we're not going to yoke ourselves together with others just to get the gospel out. Right before we were leaving the other building, I was approached by a man on a Sunday night, and he was trying to get all the churches on 226. And I didn't realize there was that many, but I should have guessed here in Cleveland County that uh, any road you pick is going to have a handful of churches on it, all right? But he wanted us, and he just could not understand why we would not, we didn't love God if we didn't be a part of this area-wide campaign that, that he was a part of. But I'm going to tell you, there is a confusion to people that come into that then. 
the big crusades of, of yesteryear where uh, you could have Catholics on the platform with Baptists or Presbyterian. And, and, and listen, I don't hate anybody. But I'm not going to invite people to come and then they go down to the altar. P perhaps the gospel is preached, maybe it's not. But they go down, they make a profession, and they end up talking to a Catholic priest or get sent uh, to a church that has false doctrine. We're responsible to make sure that we are doing God's work the right way. That's important. That's important. It matters to God. God's going to inspect that. He's the great inspector. He's going to look at that. And he's going to say, listen, I'm not putting my blessing on that. You say, what about all the people that came forward? I say, what about all the people that did come forward? Where are they now? We look at verse 42 again with me. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 43. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Moses looked upon all the work. As a mediator, God was working through Moses to speak to the people. The speak, people were speaking to Moses in order to communicate with God. That is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, clearly. But I want you to understand, when Moses gives his approval, look at that last line, even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. You know, I looked at some of the men that, that didn't do God's work, God's way. But it doesn't take long to, to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and realize that there is a long line of people that did do God's work, God's way. Now, they weren't perfect. But whether it's Abel or Enoch or Noah or Abraham or Sarah, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph and even Rahab. They said, I'm going to do something for the Lord and I'm going to do it His way. What's the result of that? God's blessing. Obedience truly does bring blessing. They did it God's way, and Moses blessed them. Now remember, in that, that function or in that position as a mediator, it wasn't Moses that said, hey, good job, everybody, and uh, I'm going to give, give you a pat on the back. He was pronouncing God's approval on that tabernacle and all the instruments that go in it and all the, the vestments for the high priest. And when he blessed it, he was speaking on behalf of God to the people. And in doing that, he was telling them, in a sense, God is going to come and commune with you in this place called the tabernacle. You talk about a blessing. To be able to commune with God. I submit to you this morning that every time that we obey God, we get a double blessing. We get a double blessing. Let me tell you the first one. God never gives a command that isn't for our own good. If you talk about husbands, love your wives, uh, wives, uh, uh, submit and reverence your husband, when we do that, we are going to have a better marriage. Lost people can have advantages following biblical principles because they're true. And I don't want that to be the answer, and no husband is truly going to be able to love his wife as Christ loved the church without the Holy Spirit of God inside of him. No woman is going to be able to, to follow her husband or respect him as she should until she has the Holy Spirit of God residing in her. But the principles will help a marriage run smoother. You want a better marriage? You want a stronger marriage? Follow the biblical principles that are there. That's a blessing. That is a tangible, real blessing that God gives. You want to have a stronger marriage? Then protect your purity before you get married. That's going to give you a much stronger relationship. Secular study after secular study shows that people that kept, they don't use the word pure, but those people that kept themselves pure have less baggage being brought into the relationship, uh, and so therefore they have a stronger and more fulfilling marriage because of that. That's a blessing that God gives. Lost people 
even though they may uh, not be followers of Christ, will still have those advantages going into a marriage, even if they're not born again. I'm just saying there is a blessing. There is always a blessing when you obey God. When you follow His command, it is always for our benefit. I'm not saying every command will bring a lost person uh, a blessing, but I'm saying for every believer, when he says, go out and tell everybody about the Lord, teach them, disciple them, when we do that, we are obeying God. There's a direct blessing. I'll tell you this, there's no greater joy than to see somebody come to the Lord. What a blessing. That's a blessing. But the second blessing is knowing that you are pleasing your Creator. It's not just, I'm going to, to love because God told me to, and I'm going to receive that blessing. It's, I'm being obedient to God, and there is a blessing in knowing that he is pleased with my choices, with my life. The Bible says there's no greater joy. That's what John talks about his human disciples. There's no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. Is that right? Now, I've often said, if you take the negative of that, that means there's no greater sorrow or pain to see your, your spiritual children walk in error. But I'm going to take it to a spiritual realm for just a moment. If it's true for me to see somebody that I've discipled making right choices, living for the Lord, pushing on, living in faith, that is joyful. How much more than my Heavenly Father looking down and seeing me when I make choices that are pleasing to Him, when I am living a life that is by faith and that I am pleasing or obedient to Him, there is the blessing of whatever that command is, and then there is the blessing of knowing that I've pleased my Heavenly Father. I didn't grow up with my father, but I had a grandfather that was very close. I'm very thankful for my grandfather. And I can remember one time I, I went out to his shed, and he had this little hook that held the door open. And he had some, I don't remember what the name of it is, it's like T25, I don't remember. It's just, just some kind of outer sheathing, just soft wood. And he had painted it, and it looked nice. And I just took that thing, and I went around in a circle, over and over and over. I dug a big gouge, and I'm surprised that whole circle just didn't fall in at one point. He got so upset. But he just looked at me and he said, I'm so disappointed in you. You know better than that. My heart was broke. He didn't have to spank me. My heart was broke because I loved him. And I wanted to please him. Listen, we'll live for the Lord because we love him and we want to please him. Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus said? He that loveth me keepeth my what? My commandments. We live for him. And when we do things his way, there is a blessing. I see this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the beginning of his ministry. He comes, he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down in, in what looks like a, the form of a dove, and then we hear something from heaven. What do we hear? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now don't skip the fact that Jesus is God. There was no need for him to be baptized. He was humbling himself. He was condescending himself to do what God wanted him to do, God's way. And God was pleased. At the end of Jesus' life, I think about the sacrifice that he was making. In order for the sacrifice to be accepted, Christ had to pass the inspection of the ultimate Inspector, God the Father. And I'll tell you something this morning that you already know is true. God the Father accepted every facet of our Lord's ministry from the beginning until the ending. 
The Lord was tempted with evil. He went out. He did amazing work, signs and wonders, miracles. He preached. He endured all of the, the Passion Week and the sufferings of the cross, and He did all of that without sinning at all. But how do we know that God the Father was not just pleased at the beginning of His ministry, at the beginning of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry? How do we know that, that He was pleased at the end of His ministry? It's a resurrection. It's a resurrection. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, it was God the Father saying, I have accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have sacrificed. That has satisfied my wrath. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for us so that we wouldn't have to. And when he rose him again from the dead, he said, uh, well, excuse me, the Lord said, it is finished. Why is that? Because he had given and offered himself in perfect obedience. And we're the benefactors of that blessing today. Not only do I see that in the Lord's life, but I hope that we can see it in our own. We can apply this principles or these two principles to every facet of our life. Am I doing what God has called me to do in God's way? Because if I am, I will receive that blessing. Do you work for your employer or for the Lord? Are you in school to get good grades or to please the Lord? Are you a homeschooling mom who just wants your kids to get good grades? Or are you raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because you want them to please Him? Are you, as a husband, living your life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? Are you fulfilling your responsibilities as a husband in a way that pleases the Lord? Are you loving your wife as God has commanded? Women, are you doing God's work? It's work for a woman to submit, right? It's work for a man to, to, to love sometimes. But the honest truth is, it is God working through us, enabling us to do what he has called us to do. Those two principles, doing God's work God's way, brings God's blessing, should be in the forefront of our thinking. As Christians. Why is that? Because one day, as Christians, every one of us will stand before the ultimate inspector at the Bema seat of Christ. We will stand before God and we will give an account of how we lived our lives. 2 Corinthians 5:10 reminds us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to Christians here that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Revelation twenty two twelve 12 reminds us, Behold, I come quickly, said the Lord Jesus Christ, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. 
Now at the Bema seat, at this judgment seat of Christ, your sin will not be judged. It has already been taken care of at the cross of Calvary. Praise God for that truth. But God cares about how you spend the life He has given you. How you live your life matters to God. Just as the Israelites laid out the tabernacle for Moses to inspect, God is going to lay out our life and say, what have you done with the life I've given you? As I said, our obedience is simply a wonderful expression of our love back to Him. Ephesians 6a says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Now, our, our works are not the basis of our salvation, but we are saved unto good works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 is all about. That's what James is talking about. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't save us on our very best day. Our very best work that we could ever do for God will always fall woefully short of God's holy perfection. But I'm thankful for the truth that before God looks at my sin, He's going to inspect whether or not the blood has been applied. You see, when He looks, He'll see the blood of Christ. He'll see the perfect righteousness of the only man that ever did everything just as God commanded him. But he won't see it just on the Lord Jesus. He'll see it on everyone that has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm thankful for city inspectors that let us get into this building with a lot less heartache and headache than what we needed. I was thankful for inspectors that were willing to teach me and help me to grow in knowing what they expected instead of just coming in and walking out saying that we failed an inspection. We have a loving Heavenly Father that has told us what He expects from us. He's giving us this book so that we can pass inspection one day, not just for salvation, but a life that has been lived for Him. Are you ready for that inspection? How would you fare standing? Do you see God's blessings in your life because of a life filled with obedience? Because the principle is this. We must do God's work, God's way, and then we will experience His blessings. Let's pray together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.